Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of Geek Town Radio. I have with me Bex. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Awesome as episode 99. I feel almost at a pivotal moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting there. I haven't quite decided what I'm doing for next week's episode yet. We'll, we'll have to see if I can come up with anything special. So, <laughs> so what have you been doing the past week? I think the most exciting thing I did was go to the Star Wars Identities exhibition, ah, which yes. was pretty awesome. I didn't know a huge amount about it. I'd just seen the kind of posters on the underground and it was Star Wars, but it was so good. They had over 200 sort of props and costumes and concept art artwork, original Ralph McQuarrie paintings, just, yeah, I, I was very very impressed with the quality of the things they had and the displays they put a lot of effort into how they were displaying these things you could get really close up and look at the detail like on the Millennium Falcon and things like that it was, uh, it was really really good I put a video up on, on YouTube I took a million photos but they just didn't do it justice <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we put the video up on Geek Town as well so it is up on there and some of the photos are up on there as well if you want to go and have a look at it So yeah um, it's on for quite a lot longer and I really really recommend it and then it's going to tour Europe as well so it's going to be getting away going around the rest of Europe. Oh, cool. Mm. See if I can pop in and see that when it's on. Awesome. That, that's the main thing, really. That kind of eclipsed everything else, to be honest. <laughs> no TV? I, I, binge watched, I binge watched the rest of uh, Killjoy Series 2, Ah, which yes. was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, it's a good show. Good show. <laughs> good to see people actually closing off plots and willing to make big kind of cast changes and, and things rather than kind of stringing things out over a lot of episodes. They actually kind of went, here's the end of all that arc. Here's the end of those characters. Here's the next thing. And that's, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, well, that's that's the advantage with some of those shows because Killjoys is only, what, 13 episodes or something? It's, it's not a full season, is it? It's not like a 22-episode season. No, they're going for the all-killer, no-filler approach, which I'm thoroughly on board with. Yes, yeah. Definitely works for those sort of dramas, I think, certainly. So, anything else? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Um, me... I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of something. <laughs> right. My life's been boring. It's too cold. <laughs> yes, it is. It's too cold to go out and do things. Um, which which means I have spent a lot of time indoors catching up on TV as well. Um, I watched uh, the first episode of Riverdale, which landed on Netflix this week, which is, is really good fun actually i mean it, it's your pretty standard kind of teenage angsty american drama feels very much like in the vein of something like vampire diaries but without the vampires <laughs> it's sort of I see. It's, that's it, one way of describing it. <laughs> it it's it's sort of 
it's one of those shows that you're always expecting, you know, some sort of big monster to jump out somewhere and attack the high school or, you know, something kind of, I don't know, Buffy-esque or, or Vampire Diaries about it. There is something that y- you, you're expecting something bigger. And at the moment, there is, isn't really anything. There is definitely some sort of mystery going on underneath, but it's nothing. Mm, it's super- CW, isn't it? So yeah, there's it- going to be some kind of overarching dramatic plot going on. Yeah. So there is something going on. Um, there is some sort of murder that that has happened and the characters are all really interesting. It is proper kind of teen drama. I've not watched Pretty Little Liars, but I suspect it's in a similar vein to that sort of thing too. There's definitely something going on, but it feels like there should be something supernatural in there and there isn't. I think that that sort of throws you very slightly. You're ex- As I say, you're expecting a big monster to jump out and it doesn't. But I enjoyed it. I think it, it's, you know, high quality teen drama i guess so yeah exceedingly weird adaptation but yes yeah yeah very it's, very it's got, strange it's, it's based on the archie comics isn't it which we all think of as wholesome american yeah kind of teen drama but then they've made it yeah that crossed with things like pretty little liars and yeah very much so it, it's weird the, the, the entire premise has me confused <laughs> i don't know how someone got from one point of we should use the Archie Comics characters to Riverdale. Because it's Greg Berlanti and I bet, and at this point I think the CW will just let him do whatever the hell he likes. So, you know. (laughs) It just, apart from the names, I don't quite know that kind of journey went through it's such a it's such a departure from the source material that you wonder why have the connection at all maybe it'll become more obvious in the relationships as things move forward but it just if you said to someone by the way there's an adaptation of archie but it's really like dark and teen drama on cw i think they just look at you like you are mad yeah i mean the characterizations are there i mean archie is still this kind of all-american kid veronica and betty are still kind of love rivals to him josie and the pussycats are in there and and are are still this sort of team band but there is there is a definite edge to everything so you know the characterizations are in there and Mm. they are recognizable it's just done in a in a very interesting way so i'm i am going to be watching a few more episodes of that i think it's done really well so you know we'll, we'll i'll see we'll see how it goes but yeah i'm enjoying it so far so yes there was riverdale uh, fortitude returned again this week which i loved the first season of uh, again that's another thing that that had this very weird almost supernatural drama to it in the first season although they had scientific explanations for everything because they were dealing with prehistoric things it all felt and was shot in a sort of way that made it feel very supernatural. And you're also dealing with this landscape, which is very supernatural because it's it's the, I can't remember if it's the Arctic or Antarctic, but yeah, you're, you're dealing with this, uh, yeah, this snowy landscape that's in the middle of nowhere and very isolated. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see that back. Things have sort of moved on. You've got Dennis Quaid as a fishing boat captain that's added into it this time as well. So did you watch any of the first season of that? I've not really watched much of it, but it is one of those things that seems quite popular at the moment to have these kind of slightly mysterious settings and very brooding, like dark, edgy sort of film styling, very almost, yeah, going towards supernatural thriller kind of approach to directing for TV shows. And that style is definitely on the up, I think, at the moment. People want this 
more complicated intelligence, slightly darker tone at the moment. Yes, I think it's reflecting the world around us is what it's, <laughs> what it's doing, as TV tends to do. So, yeah, I, I think it's nice that we're actually getting intelligent drama. And what was interesting, actually, is I read a news story this week about, uh, you know, in US shows, you know, they'll run them on their own network and then they sell them as packages into syndication onto cable networks to make extra money after they get to, say, 100 episodes. Mm, yeah. But there was a new story I saw yesterday where, which was saying that apparently a lot of the cable networks are turning their backs on that sort of drama. You know, your 24-episode NCIS and Hawaii Five-0 and those sort of things. They're turning their backs on a lot of that sort of stuff and tending to go more for movies, which is kind of interesting. So I, I do wonder if, if that is the case, how that is going to shape US network TV over the future. I think people's viewing habits are changing. The more we have this on demand and people are binge watching things now, so they are spending a lot more time on an individual thing. Because if you binge watch yeah. a series, that's a lot longer than a film. So that shows that people's sort of attention spans might be growing again when it comes to certain TV. And if it's something they feel is quality, they're willing to sit and watch it for an entire weekend. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's that, yeah, I think that is starting to change the way we're consuming the media and the way that the media is going to be made. So it's going to be, yeah, it's, there's been a lot of things, a lot of things kind of changing and the on, on demand is definitely leading that, that process. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm finding myself watching Netflix and watching Amazon an awful lot more than ever before. So, you know, even, even actually not just for the binge watching stuff, I'm actually finding watching them on a weekly basis because they're starting to pick up weekly shows as well so you know i'm also finding myself kind of because i've only got a certain amount of time to watch certain things i'm actually finding myself going back and like okay monday nights i'll watch an episode of say sneaky pete on amazon because i know i've got an hour to to like watch it on that particular night because there's nothing on standard tv so i'm i'm not actually binge watching my way through things i'm watching them kind of weekly even though i don't need to <laughs> Yeah, so you're setting your own schedule then based yeah. on your time availability and your picks of what you want at the time. Yeah. Which again is another way of viewing. It's um everything is changing quite dramatically and quite quickly from when we were kind of slave to when things were on the telly or when our VHSs would record things. Um, yes. Yeah, because even now with sort of series linking on the sky boxes and things, it's making that the, the viewers are far more in control of the timelines. Yeah, yeah. Showing your age there with mention of VHS, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i still get id'd <laughs> <laughs> i know i have to say you really don't look it <laughs> um, and i've got purple hair right now so that's only helping <laughs> <laughs> um also back this week, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which uh, I've been waiting and waiting for that to come back. We got the first glimpse of Ghost Rider, which they seem to be handling quite well. It it seems to be a lot darker than I remember the previous seasons being. It appears to be quite a lot more violent. I mean, which is fair enough, given the fact that Ghost Rider is a basically angel of vengeance. So, you know, um, they, they've seeing kind of blood splattery all over the place which I'm, I'm sure we didn't have before maybe towards the end of the last season mm, ages of shield seems quite an adaptable series because i remember it started off really slow and people didn't think much of it and then they just kind of fixed it as they went along and changed the pace and changed up a lot of the characters and gave massive plot twists so they don't seem afraid to change the tone to suit the story and change what people want as they go along no that's very true and they seem to be doing that very well i'm 
really looking forward to seeing the rest of this. I've managed to avoid most spoilers online of uh, of what's coming up with Agents of Shield, which is fairly impressive given the fact that we're basically half a season behind at this point. So, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of that. Suits also came back this week as well for the second half of season six. And I love that show. It's I know it's it's not a genre in any way, shape, or form, but I think it's it's really, really well written. I love the way the characters talk to each other and how they bounce off each other. It's the start of the the first shows without Gina Torres in the lead role as as the uh head of Pierce Inspector. So I'm uh, interested to see where they go from here because they they kind of ended it on season five, pulling the entire structure and premise of the show apart. Because you ended up the whole thing is about the fact that you've got a guy who has an eidetic memory and he pretends to be a lawyer. And at the end of season five, he gets caught in the lie and gets sent to prison. Mm, which tears back apart everything that's happened in every previous season up to that point and all the good he has done is obviously then yeah. massively potentially undone. Yeah, so you've got that happening. You've got potentially the company collapsing. So we went through a lot of that in the first half of, of uh, season six. And we're now sort of into the second half of that with uh, Mike now out of prison but unable to find a job because he's got to put down the fact that he's a criminal um on or you know he's a he's an ex-convict on any form that he fills out but doesn't want to go back to to work at the company so you've you've got this uh interesting dynamic with them at loggerheads again and conflict always makes for quite good storytelling so i i'm looking forward to seeing where they go with the rest of that yeah it's a show that was really pulled along by the character stories i mean i absolutely loved suits for the first god knows how many series i've only i'm a little bit behind now i've not watched the recent series because i just kind of didn't know what they were going to do with it i was just like how have they got any more plot that <laughs> um, they've they've got rid of everything that is the premise of the entire show. But I probably do need to give the news. If you say that the new series is working quite well, then I will I will give that a go because surely now they are getting to the pinnacle of where this is going. Yeah, I mean, I did wonder if it would come to an end at the end of that season, season but um, it seems that they they're still going. So, and again, it's it's a show which is looking, I think, to adapt, um, and so it can carry on moving, which I'm. Um, I'm quite glad about so I because I do really love that show so um yeah more suits that's now back on gaming wise I discovered a game called Galactic Civilizations 3 which it was on sale on Steam and I thought that looks interesting I'll buy that then discovered it's basically Civilization the Sid Meier game which is on version 6 now it's basically that but in space and I've spoken about civilization on here, on here before. And it's I think the name life. should have been a clue there, I have to say. Yeah, I know, but it, 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 <laughs> I didn't realize how... Yeah, the surprise in your voice seems surprising. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't realize quite how close it would be. It, it is basically yeah. the same game, but in space, which is, is absolutely fine because I love the original civilization. It's horribly life-sucking, though. It's one of those games where you think, oh, I'll play that for a bit, and then look at the clock and it's like... Like two o'clock in the morning so <laughs> you're back but yeah yes. i mean if you take anything that i like and then add the words in space <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really see how you can fail marshmallows in space <laughs> that sounds good to me 
<laughs> unicorns in space. Um, <laughs> it, it just wins. It's the same with a, a lot of games for me, with board games and things. Um, yes. Sources trading games are better in space. Yes. Yeah. I Very can go and I can trade wood and coal and things and I can build steam trains or I can pay Merchant of Venus and be in space. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm kind of with you on there. It's all good fun. Definitely. Things are always better in space. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I like to escape and my escapism therefore is outside of the stratosphere. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I can collect wood and rocks and coal in the real world. I just want to collect <laughs> space things and fly around the universe. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I'm completely with you on that. I need to get back into Elite Dangerous because that's that's also another game which is sort of flying around the universe and uh, mm. uh, trading stuff. So, you know, I, I need to get back into that. When you finish building your civilization in space. <laughs> yes, when I finish building my civilization in space. So that's what we've been up to this week. Next up, rather than news, we have a pick of the latest pilots from the US. <laughs> So we occasionally do this on the show. We're doing a pick of the pilots. This is the early 2017 edition. So this is some of the pilot shows that have come up in the US recently. Uh, It's not all of them. It's just the ones that I went through and looked at and thought, these look interesting. So I shall put them to Vex and see whether she agrees or not. (laughs) (laughs) So first one we got is one which is called Startup. It's a development title that because apparently there is i think there's a hulu show coming up which is also called startup uh so it's called startup it's zach braff returning to tv comedy he's reteaming with the um exec producer of scrubs it's based on the alex bloomberg podcast which was also called startup and It stars Braff as a 30-year-old family man with a wife and kids who quits his high-paying job to start his own business. Matt Tarzan, who's the EP, is set to write the series as well. What do you think? It sounds interesting. There's a reasonable amount of sort of lovable talent involved in that. It's one of those things where the characters are going to make or break it. Yeah. If the characters are lovable, then it could be brilliant. But I don't know the podcast to kind of take that as a basis to make any judgments on it. So I'm trying to keep an open mind. Yeah, I think the setup itself, I don't think is anything particularly special. I think the interesting thing about it for me was the fact that it's Zach Braff doing TV sitcom again and it's with yeah it's a vehicle for that yeah and it's and it's with the guy that he did scrubs with and scrubs up until the last sort of season or so was quite a funny series so i I think that sounds like quite an interesting uh, yeah there's first so many series of scrubs were very endearing very funny slightly surreal and they captured a slice of some quite interesting characters lives that sort of was more important than the setting in a lot of ways i think yeah. Um, and then it did have some moments which were actually quite touching as well, which I never expected from watching Scrubs. But they had some moments where they actually touched on some real things like where the I remember one episode where one of the later series is where they can't they say to people, yes, of course, we'll be here after your operation. And then they say, well, we can't because we have to go and do other things. We don't have enough staff and time for that. And it, yeah. they did actually touch on some serious things as well within that framework. So it was a more intelligent series than some of the other kind of sort of run-of-the-mill American comedies. So, yeah, there, there could be potential in it. But, yeah, I need I need to listen to the podcast to, to have any more of an opinion, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah. So that's one of the comedies. The other comedy we picked out was called is called Singularity. It's coming to effects. Well, again, we should mention these are all pilots, so they might not actually go to full series. But um, this has been picked up for a pilot by FX in the US. It's written by a guy called Sonny Lee, who was one of the writers on Silicon Valley, Two Broke Girls, and Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's a half-hour comedy based on a hypothesis that at some point in the next 50 years, a supercomputer AI will enter what's called a runaway reaction of self-improvement cycles, basically becoming a super-intelligent and far-surpassing all-human intelligence. So this is a singularity event which will create profound changes in human society. It's produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, written by Sunny Lee. The reason I put this in is more to do with the fact that the talent behind it and the premise I thought was quite interesting for a comedy. It is. It's normally the premise of things like the Terminator movies. Yeah. It's unusual to see it used in a comedy way. And there seems to be quite a few things coming up that use technology and use AI because uh, there was another comedy series we talked about ages ago that was going to pilot about someone that falls in love with a computer intelligence. I've forgotten yeah. the name of it. Yeah, so have so I, but yes. Yeah, there does seem to be something that, a theme that people are playing with. And this is a one I did not expect to pop up in a half hour comedy format. No. It, I, it could be brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I mean, I, I think Sonny Lee is an interesting writer. I mean, he's written on Silicon Valley, which is superb. Always Sonny is incredibly popular. Two Broke Girls can be a bit hit and miss, but that's kind of an interesting writer to have behind it. And Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg produce, again, they can be a little bit hit and miss, but they have produced some brilliant, brilliant stuff as well. So I think that's quite an interesting idea because you could easily take the synopsis of that and shove it into like an hour-long sci-fi drama. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think it all depends if it's just a backdrop for hilarious consequences or if it actually is integral to a plot they're giving. If they're going to be intelligent with it and make jokes about things that could happen in human society and go almost slightly post-apocalyptic comedy, then that could be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I will watch that one with interest. Over on the drama side, first one we've got out of the pilots, which I think has a very good chance of going to series, is Mayans MC, which is a spin-off from Sons of Anarchy focused on their sort of frenemy biker gang, follows a guy called Easy Rays, who is a prospect for the Mayans MC charter on the border of California and Mexico. It's written by Kirk Sutter, who is the guy that was behind the first season, along with a guy called Elgin James, who is a, a ex-convict, ex-biker gang member. And he's also on writing duties as well. So the reason this is in basically is because I was a huge fan of Sons of Anarchy in the first place and anything that continues any part of that story I think is is well worth another TV series. Did you watch any of the original Sons of Anarchy? I didn't watch a massive amount of it but a lot of people I know have a lot of respect for it as a series um, and it's one of those ones that even though it's outside my area people have said you should have a look at this so based on the reception people had of that um, critics and fans and things it seems very likely that this will go to series and that it's already got a massive fan base because it's because of its close connection to Sons of Anarchy so yeah I think that'll be an interesting to one to watch especially if they can keep up the, the level of quality they achieved at the first one yeah I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that I suspect it will go to series so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of that uh, next show is 
called Killer Instinct. It's formerly known as Dr. Death, I think was the original title. It stars Alan Cummings and it's an adaptation of a James Patterson novel about a former CIA operative who now has a normal life as a gifted professor and writer. He's pulled back into the CIA when the NYPD need to help him stop a serial killer. Any thoughts on this? I do quite like crime thrillers that are sort of serial killer based if it's intelligently written enough. Um, And if it isn't (laughs) procedural, then that will get my vote as well because there's been so many things that have been over the last couple of years that were just procedural episode by episode based. So if this is going to be one long running continuous plot, then that makes it more exciting. Yeah, I I suspect it probably will be. You bear in mind that James Patterson is the guy that is responsible for Zoo. The uh, show which is <laughs> on uh, on Sky One over here, the utterly ridiculous series about the animals which are turning on the humans. So I think w- one of the reasons that I put this in the list was the fact that I, it w- was partly because of Zoo, because as, as preposterous as, as it is, it's quite entertaining and fun to watch. So I don't know how intelligent this is going to be, but it does tend to be one overarching story. And I also really like Alan Cumming. I think Alan Cumming's a great actor. So that that could be one to keep an eye out for it's for cbs in the u.s so we'll see whether they pick that one up to series next up we have a couple of marvel shows there's marvel runaways which hulu have uh, picked up for pilot that's about a uh, group of well runaway teams and they discover their parents are part of a supervillain group called the pride upon learning the true heritage uh, some discover they have abilities so they set out with their newfound powers along with some magical items stolen from their evil parents to defeat them it's written by josh schwartz and stephanie savage who are two people behind the gossip girl and it's based on the comic books by brian k vaughan and adrian alfonso it's an interesting one to choose I'm wondering how actually superpowered and mutanty and things it's going to be. But since they've stolen magical items is specifically part of the the setup for this. Because a lot of things that go to TV, they just sort of downplay the power side and downplay the the darker elements and things. And yeah, I'm I'm interested by this one. I'm not quite sure how they're going to approach it. Do you know the Runaways original books at all? Not massively i should have googled that one first really to see if it's one i've read (laughs) depends how recent it is if it's quite old then possibly (laughs) yeah i i think it's been around for a while it's it's not one that i actually know I like Brian K. Vaughan's stuff. I mean, Saga is, he, he's the writer of Buffy season eight and Saga, and Saga is a, just an immense book if you've not read any of those. I'm, I'm assuming you've read Saga. I've read some of Saga, yeah. Okay. It's an interesting pick for it, and it's someone that's not afraid to have those magical and supernatural elements, obviously, with his um, involvement with those. Yeah, so um, I don't know. And I I mean, I, I've never watched Gossip Girl. Those are the two people that are adapting it, so I, I don't know. But... Yeah, I guess. Uh, It's an interesting setup, and I like the source material. So, you know, or I like the writer behind the source material anyway, so we'll see. So next up is another Marvel show, this time on Fox. This is coming from uh, Matt Nix, who is the guy that wrote Burn Notice, and it's their first kind of full-on X-Men TV series. focuses on a family who find themselves on the run from a hostile government, 
when the parents discover their two children have mutant powers. The only way to save themselves is by joining an underground network of mutants and fight to survive. It's got a whole bunch of fairly high-profile exec producers, including Brian Singer and Marvel's Jeff Loeb. Brian Singer is also directing the pilot, and he obviously was the person that was behind the X-Men movies originally. So, thoughts on this? I'm not a fan of the X-Men movies. Is a massive, massive understatement. So I was quite interested in this until it got to that kind of bit. And I was just like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Brian Singer is a lovely, lovely man. He needs to stop directing things connected to X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> so I, was, I, I sort of looked at it and went, that's quite interesting. I wonder which underground group of mutants they're going to join because there's a number of different groups that could be. Some of them are quite dark. Some of them are quite militant. Some of them are quite secretive. Some of them are... That could be really intriguing to see how that fits into the the tapestry of the narratives where that linking to the comic books is it completely different and then it said yeah that brian singer is going to direct the pilot and that's going to set the tone for the whole thing and then my hope started to fade i'm also <laughs> curious to know how since the the different x-men series is across different networks and different things got hulu got fox uh, are these going to be completely unconnected from each other oh because they keep trying to make their movies oh these are kind of connected but they're in alternate timelines and they'd never really match up at all so I wonder if they're kind of stopping saying that and just going for, no, these are all completely separate identities or are they still going to keep some kind of connection? If there is any connection with any TV show, it will be this one, I would have thought, because this is specifically said that it is X-Men related and it's on Fox, whereas you know the other one's on Hulu. So uh, Runaways will be completely separate, I suspect. With this one being on Fox, there is a fair chance that, and with Brian Singer involved, there is a fair chance that this is will be more closely related to the movies. I, I suspect it, it will not be directly related. Whether they, at some point, will have a bit of crossover, I don't know, but we'll see. Um, yeah. Things like Angels of S.H.I.E.L.D. have shown that movies and tv shows can exist in a, in a perfect symbiotic relationship and feed into each other yeah um, but the x-men movies can't seem to keep consistent within themselves so <laughs> i'm not quite sure how they plan on having any kind of consistency with a tv show yeah it's an yeah. interesting one um i'm happy to see i should sort of say like, although i've been quite negative over the last couple of minutes i'm actually to see more x-men stuff kind of getting made and more marvel stuff and comic book stuff coming on to the tv so i want to be hopeful <laughs> moving on the next one the next one it's another comic book adaptation and i love the sound of this it's called happy it's about nick Sachs, who is a corrupt intoxicated ex-cop turned hitman Adrift in a stinking twilight world of casual murder, soulless sex, expert and betrayal. When a hit goes wrong, a bullet in his side and cops and the mob on his tail and a monstrous child killer in a Santa suit on the loose, Nick and his world will be changed forever by a tiny blue horse called Happy. Um, it's based on a, as you possibly would expect if you know comic books, it's based on a Grant Morrison graphic novel. I've never read the, read the original, but... Um, I love that setup. I, is that something that appeals to you? It's brilliant, isn't it? That, <laughs> it just sounds brilliant. Um, I need to read more of the comic. I'm aware of it, but I've not really read much of it. But just the basic premise makes me happy. Yes, as it should. Because let's face it, who doesn't <laughs> want to see a cop drama with a tiny blue horse 
called Happy. I think it's actually a tiny blue winged horse called Happy from what I've yes, seen from the pictures. it's got little wings. It's very, very cute. It's, it's everything about sort of the artwork's quite dark apart from this the little yeah. hallucinated winged little blue, blue <laughs> cute thing that looks like kind of a cuddly toy come to life. <laughs> I mean, I, It's I, brilliant. And I'm hoping something like this will lead the way for maybe some of like Warren Ellis's comic books to start getting made. Yes, yeah, that would be good. Because if uh, they'll let Grant Morrison stuff through to TV, maybe one day we will get like a Transmetropolitan TV series or a, a Crooked Little Vein TV series, which is a yeah. book written, written by Ellis. Because those, I've always thought that TV companies have been too terrified to go near. And this is kind of edging towards that territory. Isn't Trees a Warren Ellis? Yeah, it is. It's mm. There's a comic book called Trees, which is a Warren Ellis comic book. And I'm sure I remember us saying that there are, they're looking at a, certainly a script. It's not a pilot stage, but I'm sure they commissioned a script for it. So you might get Good. your wish. You <laughs> might get your wish. Uh, carrying on with the uh, with the superhero stuff, Krypton, which we've talked about various times on on the show and on the website. Uh, so Krypton, which is based around Segel, who is the grandfather of Kellel, it's set two generations before Krypton explodes. Um, it's the time when the house of El has been ostracized and shamed. Seg is fighting to restore his family name and stop the world from descending into chaos. It's from David S. Goya, who is the guy behind Constantine TV series. He also was heavily involved in The Man of Steel, uh, Da Vinci's Demons, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Maybe we should skip out of that. Uh, <laughs> um, he's set to write the show along with Ian B. Goldberg, who is one of the guys behind uh, Once Upon a Time and the Terminator TV series as well. Damien Kindler, who was behind Sanctuary, Stargate SG-1 and Sleepy Hollow, is going to serve as showrunner if it goes to series. This is for sci-fi, so it's not connected to any of the CW stuff. Thoughts on this? I'm excited about this one, because whatever everyone has to say about Batman vs Superman, whether they love it, whether they hate it, and things like Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman, whenever they showed anything on Krypton, those bits were amazing. Yeah. That was my, the Man of Steel. The, the only bit I really liked of it was the stuff on Krypton. So I'm not too worried about that or any, because I think anything that issues with those movies were to do with overall issues and not necessarily any particular individual. So I'm quite excited for this. If they do this properly, I think it could be really, really good. Filling in loads of history that we've never seen before, rather than just going over the same ground again. We're looking at really um, expanding things that haven't really been shown on film and TV. And with like some of the people from, you know, sort of Stargate SG-1 does that exact kind of look and feel and epicness really well. So having someone involved in that is really good. Yeah, I, I think that I think this could be really, really good. And it's sci-fi and when they tend to pick something up like this, they do tend to go full pelt at it and do it really well. Yeah, yeah. That's surprisingly more positive than I would have expected from you for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean... I, I'm, I'm a surprising human. Yeah, no, this, this is... This is possibly very very good i think yeah no i know i'm very much with you I'll ask me again in a few months <laughs> <laughs> i'm very much with you on that actually i really like the uh, the man of steel krypton stuff it, it's going to be interesting to see whether any of that does filter through to the tv show whether they keep that sort of style as well so i i don't know yeah i i did really like that stuff as well so uh and goya has his critics but you know constantine was a good show regardless of the fact that he didn't find an audience and da vinci's demons was fun as well so you know I, we'll we'll see when it, it uh if it actually makes it to series but um it's it's potentially quite a big budget thing for sci-fi i would have thought 
that. So be interesting. Be interesting to see where it goes. Last show on the list is called Deception, being picked up for pilot by ABC. This is about a superstar magician called Cameron Black. His career is ruined by scandal, so he only has one place to turn to practice his art of deception, illusion, and influence, the FBI. He'll become the world's first consulting illusionist, <laughs> helping the government solve crimes that defy explanation, trap criminals, and spies using deception. It's written by Chris Fedak, who was involved with Chuck and Forever and is written for Legends of Tomorrow. Greg Belanti is exec producing. So thoughts on this? Uh, I feel I've seen this show and it's called The Mentalist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It could be very different, but the synopsis kind Mm. of looks similar, but just with flashy illusions rather than just the deception elements. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you. I think it's going to have to... It's going to have to live with a lot of people making that comparison and let it can, let it can set itself up very quickly as being something different than that. Yeah, I, I'm sort of with you on that. And the, the setup I'm not entirely convinced by, I have to say. But the writer behind it, as I say, Chris Fedak wrote for Chuck. He wrote for Forever, which had, had a f- good fan base, even if it wasn't a big enough fan base to keep it on air. And Legends of Tomorrow as well, which is, I really love. It's one of the more bonkers of the DC shows, but I, I really like that. And Belanti, of course, behind it as well. So I don't know. I, I think that the writing and the fact that Belanti is involved gives it a chance. But yeah, you are right. It, it does sound very much like The Mentalist. So... <laughs> So we'll have to see what they do to uh, to try and keep them apart. So those are the pilots that we picked out of, of the list coming up so far. We will let you know. We'll probably do this again in a few months' time as we get more pilots come up, sort of around April, May time, I would have thought. So we'll do this again. Next up, we have a few bits of news for you. <laughs> news this week we had it only going to have a couple of news stories and then last night two huge things happened (laughs) first up peter capaldi is to leave doctor who he took over the role from matt smith in august 2014 at season eight season 10 is due to arrive on the 15th of april and that will be the last full season but the last episode he will be in will be the christmas special on the 25th of december this year It's also going to be the last episode for showrunner Stephen Moffat, who hands over to Chris Chibnall. Thoughts on this? I don't know. Were you watching Peter Capaldi as Doctor Who? I really, really like Peter Capaldi, and I think he could have been one of the best Doctor Whos we ever had, but I felt the writing from Moffat, although I loved when when Stephen Moffat was writing sort of one and two part stories in earlier series, I absolutely loved his writing. Yeah. I thought he was the best thing. And then when he had the whole thing, I just felt like the series became every episode had a theme. Don't look, don't speak, don't move. Don't, uh, it felt a bit laboured. It felt like he didn't have that many ideas. Yeah. And it started to become a bit of a chore to watch it. And I thought that was a real shame because Capaldi is such a good actor. And there were moments of genius in there. But I really started to, I, I'm kind of watching Doctor Who, but I wasn't as fussed. I wasn't waiting for every episode anxiously anymore or anything like that. And it just slowly started to kind of fizzle out. Kind of sad Capaldi's going, but even though I like Moffat, yeah, I think someone else needs to be the, the main writer. It, I think that was the mistake with with Moffat was um, he's a brilliant, brilliant writer. He's just not a brilliant showrunner and I for this sort of series. And I sort of feel like maybe he would have been better 
just writing episodes and uh, not trying to do overall arcs and that sort of stuff. I mean, that's one of the things that Chibnall has a lot of experience doing because he ran Torchwood. Oh, of course, yeah. That's how I know the name. He ran Broadchurch, was his as well. So, you know, he's he's got fairly big shows under his belt. Mm. Uh, Torchwood was such a varied beast. Torchwood yeah. changed so much. And it was like watching different shows each time, practically. I think it's going to be interesting. I, I do hope that Doctor Who's going to pick up again because it's such a beloved franchise and I love so much about it. And I just started to kind of see my interest in it fade. So it would be great if he can inject more life into it. Um, it's just a shame that Capaldi won't be there because I do feel like he could have been a better doctor than he was allowed to within the framework he was given. Yeah, I, I'm sort of with you on that. So the inevitable question comes up of who do we replace him with? <laughs> Any thoughts on who you'd like to see next? Uh, if I was in charge, then um, Missy would be the next Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, Because yeah. that was the thing that I absolutely adored about the recent series was I've forgotten the actress's name. Brilliant uh, actress who was also in um, Green Wing and things who's playing Missy and she's been in Gotham a bit as well. Um, yeah. She was amazing and Missy was holding and pulling me in to watch the show was the thought that she might be in it yeah um, um, I, i'd be tempted to give give her the, the doctor's mantle which i know will never happen and can't <laughs> happen it wouldn't make any sense yes no i know what you mean <laughs> michelle gomez that's the woman's name missy um i've always always been a little bit against the idea of a female doctor but somebody then suggested Haley atwell for the role which i quite liked because I'd watch Hayley Atwell in pretty much anything, and I think she's got the right sort of temperament for it as well. I think she'd make quite a good doctor. Yeah, and I think they did show that they could write that change by... Yes. Because Missy is the master, and yeah. I, I, that I think, worked really well, um, and I don't think people necessarily would have realised that before no, they saw it. No, I, and I, I think I think I agree with you on that. I, I was, up until sort of they introduced Missy, I, I was... I wasn't sure about the idea of a female doctor and then then they introduced a female master and I thought yeah actually that actually works so maybe a female doctor would also work it's just finding the right person and yeah Hayley Atwell was the name that that seems to be doing the rounds at the moment who I quite like the idea of Ben Wishall is the bookie's favourite right now, who I think would do quite okay. a good job. I, I think he could work quite well. I mean, there's always a bunch of other names that are floating around. It's not going to be Idris Elba because <laughs> as much as people would love it to be, I don't see that happening at all because he's got far too many other things going on right now to want to tie himself to a Doctor Who series schedule, I would have thought. So... Um, yeah, I mean, we've got until Christmas Day to to find out. In fact, I'm sure they'll tell us before Christmas Day who the Doctor's going to be, but, you know, um, we've got until Christmas Day to see the regeneration, so we'll see where that goes. Speaking of people leaving, Ben Affleck is no longer directing the Batman movie, although he will still star in it. It was announced last night as well. Basically, he's just sort of said that he doesn't feel that he is in a position to be able to dedicate enough time to acting in it and directing in it. So he's decided he's going to find a partner in a director who he can collaborate with on a massive film like this. Bear in mind that he's still co-scriptwriter because I suspect they'll still end up using his script. 
he's still still an exec producer and still the main star of the film. So it's not like he's walking away from it. He's very much still doing it. It's just he won't be the man behind the camera. So I I would think he's probably going to have quite a lot of say in who the director actually is, I would have thought. I mean, it's very hard to... I mean, the Batman movie, he is the main character he's going to be need to be in front of the camera so much yeah and, and it's not like you can even see that much in one of those suits is the other thing it's hard to keep <laughs> no. an eye on everything that's going on when you're wearing a suit when you might be in a vehicle when you're in all these action scenes it would be incredibly hard to direct something like that as well as be in it especially for someone who hasn't directed a lot of films of that ilk up till this point a huge enormous task on top of writing and doing other duties as well i think it shows his love for the project that he wanted to do that much and it shows his love for the project that he's realized he's bitten off slightly more than he could chew so i'm not too worried by that yeah no i i think it's a perfectly reasonable thing uh one of the names being banded around as potential replacement is matt reeves who was the director behind uh dawn of the planet of the apes and war for the planet of the apes which is coming later this year i think it would be an interesting choice I think, for it. He's somebody that's got a lot of experience of doing big screen action CGI things, and they're quite good, those movies. Or certainly Dawn Dawn was a perfectly good movie. So anybody particularly you'd like to see behind the camera for it? I'm not sure. It's with all the DC films at the moment, I don't think the issues have been because of who's the director. It has always been to do with studio interference and things on the editing room. So I'm more concerned with who's doing that. And yeah. that whoever is directing it, they have faith in them to let them lead it without coming in and changing things later. I think that's my main concern is that they have someone that they feel they can trust giving that job to and not interfere too much with it. Uh, obviously, a lot of that's based on speculation, but that's kind of where I feel with it. So I'm not too worried about who the director is. It's going to be somebody good. They wouldn't give something like this to someone that didn't know what they were doing. It's just a case of will it get seen through with one person's vision or is it going to become a little bit designed by committee as some of the others have possibly been. Yeah. The other thing, of course, is whether you could then get Affleck to go and direct one of the other DC films. That's an interesting thought. Because they're really, really struggling to find a director for The Flash because they've they've been they're on the, like their fourth director I think for that movie now. Is it fourth now? My Something goodness, like that. Just, it's changing so much I've lost track. Yeah, I mean that is, as that's far as never a good sign. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, they still don't have a, a new director for that yet. So maybe if that comes afterwards, you Affleck might want to go and direct one of the other DC films that he's not having to star in, or maybe only has a small part in. So. Maybe that's a possibility if they want to keep him around to direct something. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I mean, I quite like that idea. But yeah, I think it's probably the right decision for him. And I, I, I suspect given the amount of weight that he has at this point and stuff invested in that project, I can't see them picking somebody that he doesn't agree with. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But I thought that was quite good. A couple of other little minor stories. Nina Dobrev will be back for the Vampire Diaries finale, which um, I think was sort of inevitable, but uh, she she announced on Instagram she was going to come back. Do you watch any of the Vampire Diaries? I don't know whether it's a bit teeny for you. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to word it that way. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she's back. The final episode which is uh season eight episode number 16 is apparently entitled i was feeling epic so uh yes that that she will be back for the final episode which i i think is is no 
bad thing because it rounds off that story. And uh, the other bit of news was Will Tudor, who played Odie in Humans, has got himself a job on the other side of the pond. He's joining the US series Shadow Hunters as Sebastian, who, for those people that know his Mortal, Mortal Instruments novels, will probably know who Sebastian is. He befriends one of the show's main characters, which leads him to join the Shadow Hunter Institute of New York. Sebastian is described as brilliant, charming, profoundly educated, and makes him unrivaled fighting abilities a real boon for the existing Shadow Hunter team. I've not actually caught any of this series yet, and I don't know the books at all. I don't know whether anything you've come across. Uh, I've only read the first book of The Mortal Instruments. I actually know very little about it. I just kind of was slightly too old, kind of missed those. But so many people I know absolutely love the books and yeah i didn't even know the series existed sorry i should have watched this um (laughs) it does seem like something that could be really interesting um it's it's on it's on netflix was amazing in humans yeah it's on um, yeah i need to go around someone's house and um you need a netflix account that's what you (laughs) <laughs> you need a Netflix account. That's what I, I, I do. I'll put it on my Christmas list. Uh, <laughs> but it'd be interesting to see because Odie was so sweet and so vulnerable and such a change. Like, I just want to see that. Really. Yeah. I'd love to see the, the, him playing something so wildly different and hopefully seeing him do it just as well as he did in Humans. Yes. Yeah. So um, he's a lovely guy as well. I've interviewed Will Shudia. He was a really, really lovely guy. So Sebastian will pop up in the back end of series two, which I think he's currently running on Netflix right now. So it will be somewhere towards the back end of the season that he appears. That is all the bits of news we've got for this week. Next up, we have the interview. The interview this week is with the cinematographer Tog McMullen. Todd is a um, cinematographer who worked on a wide range of shows. He was on the HBO's The Leftovers. He was on The Newsroom, which was a show I adored. Uh, he's on NBC's US version of Prime Suspect. Uh, he also was a cinematographer on Friday Night Lights as well. His latest TV project is as director of photography for Netflix's new horror comedy, which is called The Santa Clarita Diet, which stars Drew Barrymore. He's also been working as a cinematographer on a uh, film which was at Sundance last week called Walking Out, stars Matt Boomer and Joss Wiggins, which tells the story of a father and son struggling to connect as they have a brutal encounter in the wilderness which changes everything he was a really interesting guy to talk to and we talked kind of a bit about the uh you know working on newsroom and the leftovers uh some stuff about the santa clarita diet as well and working with drew barrymore so the interview is i think 20 minutes 25 minutes long here it is we'll see you afterwards with some air dates Hi, Todd. Hey, David. Nice. How are you, man? I'm all right. How are you? Good, good. Just getting her going today. <laughs> we had a late screening last night, so uh, just getting up and around. Uh, thanks for taking a bit of time out from your Sundance festivaling to, to oh, Well, thanks for your interest. Me. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you because you've got, well, you've got a new show coming out. You're also, um, you were the deep direct photography on one of my favorite shows, The Newsroom. Yeah. Which I absolutely adored. And you've got a new show coming out and you've got the Sundance thing. So I thought it would be a good time to get you on. Awesome. Should we start with you a little bit? Do you want to just give me a bit of background about yourself and how you've got into the industry in the first place? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I think the simplest, you know, 
answer is I was always into photography. So I started out with a degree in photography and basically uh, started wanting to take that to another level, which was, you know, moving images. And I hooked up with some commercial people where I lived and they got me in there and I became fascinated with film cameras and I went to learn about those. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm on sets, uh, you know, working with it on movies and it just kept growing from there. And my fascination just kept going and going. And my goal was always to, you know, work my way up, not just start at one level and be there. I wanted to know how things worked. I wanted to know what everybody kind of did. So uh, I was fortunate to do a lot of that. And it was, uh, it's just been a great experience. Some of the movies you worked on earlier on, was things like Green Mile you worked on, I seem to remember. Uh, there was yep. Anchorman, Superman Returns, Casino. I mean, there's some big directors in there you, you ended up working with early on. And then you shifted across into doing TV. Yeah. The TV work, you've got a new show coming up called The Santa Clarita Diet, mm-hmm. which I have to admit, I, I, I was sent various things by Netflix on that show, and I kind of skipped over the first couple of emails because it sounds like a like food diet show. <laughs> totally with you on that. I thought it was the most interesting title, and I wasn't sure how people would react to that. But, you know, I, I think once they start seeing it, and, uh, hit, you know, hearing the publicity, they're going to jump right into it. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a couple of trailers and that sort of, sort of thing for it. It's a zombie comedy. It's a half-hour comedy, isn't it, I think? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's a zombie kind of dark comedy. It stars Drew Barrymore. It appears from the trailer to be kind of a cross between iZombie and Dexter. <laughs> for- You're right. <laughs> Well, I, I'm finding I'm kind of bumping on the word zombie because my experience of it, I don't you know, there's not it's not like a walking dead zombies no, walking no, around, which all. is interesting to me. Um, so but yeah, the other reference is certainly there. And I think once people see it, you know, they'll they'll understand what it is. But, uh, you know, the writing's just fantastic. And Drew and Tim are just exceptional in this. And it's very funny, you know, so and it, it's clever funny. Yeah. And that's what makes it such a wonderful show. Is this your first time you've worked for Netflix? Yeah, it is. And I think that was kind of one of the reasons I took the project is to kind of get in with them because they are such a prolific company. And, you know, I'm just going to say it. They have a lot of money to spend on (laughs) original programming. And they tell you that, Yeah. you know, they broadcast it. They've got, you know, billions of dollars to spend. And that's really wonderful because with that kind of money, you're going to get good projects out of it. So um, other than the story and the actors and being with Netflix, I I think that was one of the main reasons I jumped on. And also I wanted a little lighter fare of a project than what I'm normally used to. Like the leftovers is pretty heavy duty. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, so that I, it just worked out great. So it was a really wonderful experience. And this is the sort of first time you've done a, a comedy. Where do you go setting up a visual style for that sort of show? Well, on that one, it was kind of interesting because as we went in, I was, uh, you know, hired by the, mostly by the director, Ruben Fleischer, um, who was doing the first couple episodes. And, you know, we talked about it and the writing was so, so dark and, you know, it wasn't dark, but it was not on the, you know, straight on comedy side. It had a darker vision to it. So we talked about keeping it moody like that and keeping it appropriate. I mean, you know, the first, one of the first scenes opens, they're out in the middle of nowhere with car headlights on them. So, you know, there's not, you can't overdo that or, you know, you want to make it look appropriate. So at the beginning, there were, you know, there were times when I think some of the producers and the writers were like, well, we, we want to see more. We want it brighter. And we were like, OK, well, you'll be able to do that later. But we were always trying to say, well, your writing's just so you know 
point on, let's not go too far with this. And I think in the end, we found a really nice balance where they kind of feel a little better about it not being too dark. And I don't feel too bad about it being too bright. So it <laughs> came to a good place. And it's a, it just looks great. So, um, yeah. you know, it's it's always those challenges and, and just finding finding the legs, finding the look. But uh, I'm very proud of uh, the way it looks. Were there any problems that came up sort of specifically relating to shooting that sort of show over some of the longer form shows you've done? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, there are a couple of things. Technically, um, uh, Netflix mandates 4K delivery. And right. technically, so for our show, it was going to be the first um, actually originated in 4K, then going to HDR, which, you know, was pretty new to me. Yeah. So th- that learning curve was there. It wasn't big. It was very small, but um, it was, you know, it was there. But I think some of the biggest challenges on Santa Clarita Diet was that we were shooting a lot of exteriors up in Santa Clarita, right. which has a very, very interesting look. But at that time, it was just hotter than hell. I mean, we had heat <laughs> waves. The sun was just drenching down people. And some of these big scenes where we had to be outside, there was no way I could not do those, especially, you know, on Drew and some of the other females without having an overhead. So we'd have right. huge scenes where we'd have, you know, six, seven actors in it at way different locations. So we'd have to try to cover the whole area. So grip wise, that was very challenging. But in the long run, not only did it look great, that you know, I mean, Drew came up and said, I could not do these scenes without that thing. You know, yeah. she was just standing out in the sun. There would have been no way to do it. It was just yeah. really hot and humid. And, you know, it was, it was tough. So that was the biggest challenge with that particular show as far as being outside. Yeah. I mean, just moving on to, to one of the other shows, which I said earlier, The Newsroom, which was the show that I absolutely adored. That, of course, the Aaron Sorkin show. I mean, the incredible writing, amazing acting in it. With that show, a lot of it or uh, an awful lot of it seems to take place in that one big newsroom set does having a situation like that with basically one massive set for a lot of the shooting make life a lot easier for you it absolutely does yeah don't don't tell my agent this but i could have spent my whole career working on that show i loved it <laughs> it was everything that got me into the you know why i wanted to get into the narrative filmmaking what was great about that show is our set was so large that i could get two or three cameras in there sometimes four cameras in there and and bring them back from you know hide them in places and put them on dolly track and get them away from the action and just keep everything moving so that the actors could literally go from one office to the next office to the next office and we could continue to shoot. We do six to 10 page scenes sometimes in a take because it could line it up with different cameras because we had the space to go be back away from each other and get wonderful shots. So it was a luxury. Yeah, very much the kind of Aaron Sorkin walk and talk kind of thing, you know, so, Absolutely. Yeah, works, works very well for that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it really worked great for the actors too because you know they they're so they're so great and when they get all the they have to you know a lot of technical dialogue they have to get in their mind and if they can just nail that a couple times and get it and move on that just changes the whole feel of the performance instead of you know just oh well, let's just do this little section now we'll come back and get a close-up for that little section no let's go that you know it, it just helps them immensely and it's just a, a really raw and uh you know invigorating way to shoot yeah it's such a tragedy that that show isn't on air still at this point because they would have had a field day right now <laughs> can, can you imagine <laughs> yeah that, I, I probably would have had to change my name or something if, you know if i was still associated with it going on now but uh yeah no it was just a wonderful experience everything about that show was fantastic yeah you know yeah. i deeply miss it i do hope aaron sorkin comes back to tv to that sort of show again because they are brilliant i've loved the west i hope so too yeah i hope so too i think he's kind of bowed off tv but maybe he'll get a brilliant idea about something 
or what's going on now will piss him off again and he'll take another angle at it, you know? <laughs> so let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So you've got a uh, newsroom, Santa Clarita Diet. The Leftovers was another show you worked on. Again, that's far more outdoor work, although I'm assuming you were shooting a lot more night, I would have thought, on that sort of show, because I seem to remember that there was quite a lot of night shoots on that. That was shot in Austin, Texas as well, I seem to remember. Yes, uh, season two was. Season one was Go shot ahead. in upstate New York, and that was pretty much, it had to be 90, 95% practical locations. Right. Uh, when they came to Austin... Uh, they built a couple sets, but for the most part, it was also uh, practical locations. Okay. With that sort of thing compared to something like the newsroom, that's uh, I'm assuming that's a lot trickier to deal with because you're, you're dealing with the outside an awful lot more. Yeah, in a way it is, but also in a way it's more freeing because you, you only know you can do a certain amount. You know, right. if you go to one house and it's literally got one window and that's, you know, and you got low ceilings and you can't put lights up, you, you know how you have to photograph it. Yeah. Which I like in a way because I, I learned a lot of that doing Friday at lights, uh, yeah, which yeah. was, you know, hundred, almost hundred percent location work. And, you know, we'd get in there with three cameras into small spaces and, you know, maybe I could only put one light in there maybe a little bounce or something like that, or a couple of specials, but that was freeing in a way because you didn't, you didn't have to do, you know, more than you needed to. And for me, that's always great anyway, because the more lights you put up, the more you've got to cut and shape them. So, uh, especially with these digital cameras, they just pick up so much. So yeah. for me, it's freeing to maybe you only use one light and hopefully it comes in the right angle and maybe bounces around nicely and it just gives it a, a, a more interesting mood. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, that was that style. Yeah, that's the interesting thing with all the high def stuff as well. That switch must have made your job kind of harder or but maybe it's more the set people that it makes the job harder for because they got to go into minute detail on everything. Yeah, that, well, that was the interesting thing about Santa Clarita Diet, too, was, you know, because we knew it was going to be in 4K, we had to make sure that some of the set stuff, like the countertops, uh, were real granite because right. it was you couldn't really fake that because you have a huge scene there. You could really tell the difference because it was so crisp and clean, yeah. you know, that image. So there, that is a, an in, interesting point you brought up because there was a lot of, you know, you had to think about what can you fake with this, this new, you know, 4K delivery. Yeah, I remember over here, big sci-fi show, obviously, Doctor Who, they ended up having to completely rebuild the set because of the fact that when they made really? the switch from one to the other, yeah, the, the whole inside of the TARDIS set, one of the reasons that they chose to completely rebuild it between a couple of the seasons was the fact that the guy that was in control of the show at the time absolutely hated the way it looked in HD and they made the switch to HD. <laughs> oh, so, wow. So, so they so, saved, but they spent. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> Crazy. Interesting. There was a couple of other shows on your list as well, which you did pilots for. Um, Quantico was yes. one show, uh, and Twelve Monkeys as well. Twelve Monkeys is sort of responsible for being the first show that kicked off this time travel genre thing that seems to be sweeping across every TV station right now. You're right. Yes. Yes. How is it working, particularly Twelve Monkeys, because that's obviously a futuristic kind of base thing how is it shooting that well i love doing 12 monkeys a lot because I, the director uh, jeffrey reiner who i've worked a lot with is just a wonderful guy he's got a great vision and he likes to push it and try things which is just fantastic and so we, when we went into it we you know we obviously said well we can't make it look like the movie you know yeah. that's 
it's it's a different time it's the same premise but let's you know we're not going to go in and give these crazy angles and do all of that so that being said we still tried to mix it up with some of the the opticals i mean i, I brought in some really interesting uh, portrait lenses you know some lenses that had some interesting distortion to them for certain things you know obviously yeah. but also i used some old pv uh some panavision vintage lenses that i love the look of <laughs> so we tried to keep the look a little bit you know maybe more grittier or appropriate for what the story was but the angles we didn't didn't try to do the crazy you know fish eyes up close and all of that it just it wasn't going to happen but it was a great experience shooting uh in detroit which really blew my mind because i'd only heard about what detroit looked like and a lot of their you know buildings just left out there like a war zone and sure enough it sure looked like that so the, the it it lent itself perfectly to that storyline but that was a great experience i really loved it and i think we had a really wonderfully cool looking show because of it yeah it's it's a really interesting show that and it looks fantastic then you've got something like quantico which is based far more in real life but you're you're kind of opening with an explosion at is it new central the train station grand central yeah 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 and uh there's a sort of big overhead shot and stuff how did you do that sort of thing well once we um stopped talking about it (laughs) and finally shot it that was one of those sequences there were meetings after meetings about how's this going to happen what do we need to do because the scope of it was so epic you know really tiny hand to you know to the moon uh um, so we talked a lot about that, and uh, I think it came out pretty damn good. Um, mm-hmm. And we actually ended up shooting that on a huge green screen somewhere in it outside of Atlanta, I think, right. in some old warehouse. But so I mean, we, you know, and they literally—that was the whole other thing—is what 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 do you bring in that looks real as far as all that destruction as to what you can make? Yeah, you know, you can make a lot of styrofoam stuff, but then it looks like styrofoam stuff. Yeah. So you know, it was just a really interesting collaboration of of every everybody production design and and you know everybody putting that together to make it look like it did um quantico was interesting for me um because the director came from the uk uh mark uh, right. london uh, who does fantastic stuff and i think you know he i think they brought him in for a certain style that he does and uh, you know we had to figure out how to get that wonderful epic scope of it but also get in for some of the intimate stuff that the actors were doing right. so you know we got that figured out and it was it was just it was great and i think the actors were fantastic so mm. you know obviously it's still on yeah 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 and it's yeah. doing great yeah was it just a timing issue with the fact that you just did the pilots for those two yeah the, i did the i, I did the pilot i love doing pilots cuz you can establish a look and you know it's a little shorter of a time commitment yeah so I did that. And then um, they approached me to do 12 Monkeys. They had moved it to Toronto, I think. And at that time, I I just wasn't able to go up there, family, you know. And so then I think Quantico came up and then obviously Leftovers was happening. And so... You yeah, know, yeah. I think it all worked out good. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. As you mentioned earlier, you're at Sundance at the moment. You're up there with a movie called Walking Out. Stars Matt Bomer from uh, White Collar and American Horror Story. He was in Chuck as well. So what can you tell me about the film? Wow, it's uh, it was it's just an amazing experience. I, you know, Walking Out is kind of uh, an epic story that's told, you know, on a grand scale with really intimate performances. Yeah. And... Uh, Matt and Josh just it just was magical. Matt is such a great actor and he's so into the role and he just transforms himself. And it, it, that was just wonderful. Um, so, you know, once I read the screenplay, I'd known um, Alex Smith for, for a while 
uh, through his wife, Dana, who was in Friday Night Lights. And yeah, we right. always talked about working yeah. uh, together, but it never synced up. So he sent me the script for this. I read it, go, wow, there's a lot of parallels to things, you know, like in my life, I used to hunt with my father and all the, the anxieties and experiences and all of those things was in this story, which I could, you know, uh, empathize with. So, so that kind of got me that way. And then it, obviously right off the bat, I knew it was a challenge. We're shooting in the snow and, you know, crazy locations in Montana. So that was cool. Cause I, I loved having challenges. So it was, you know, those things. And just the fact that I knew it was going to be a really epic looking uh, story with great actors. I, I just fell right for it. Yeah. So, I mean, with that, you are really shooting out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere. How, how do you even, do you like things like that or i mean are you dealing mainly with natural light for that sort of stuff or how how do you approach it yeah i mean a lot of that is especially uh, the exterior is a lot of natural light and i'll shape it by having some negative fill or whatever or you know sometimes we're shooting just in trees right. so maybe i can get a little shiny board if i want to do a little kicker give a little edge light or something but the way that the the way the light falls in montana was so beautiful at most of the time of the day. And there was really not any bad angles there. It was really amazing. I was surprised. And then the night scenes, you know, where they're around a campfire was great because we could build a real campfire and I could augment it a little bit with some, <laughs> some of our lights and really keep it, you know, looking natural and not overlit. Yeah. And I think that just gives it that wonderful feeling that you you are right there and it's, you know, you're, you're in the elements. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. Uh, uh, there's a few things coming up at Sundance this year, which I'd quite like to uh, see at some point. So hopefully they'll make their way over here. <laughs> and I'll be able to I do them. too. Yeah. I think they will. Um, one of the other things that was kind of cool about uh, walking out is, you know, they're, it's, it's kind of a journey for them. And as they make their way up the mountain, I thought it'd be cool to photograph them, you know, going from like frame right to left. And then as they make the descent coming back down, we go left to right. So that would keep the audience kind of grounded on their direction and what they were doing. Nice. And where we could do that, we did it and it really felt good. I think it helped keep our audience kind of grounded and not, you know, always curious which way they're going or what are they doing. So yeah. it was kind of a subtle thing that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's very cool. What would you say is the most interesting experience you've had whilst you've been working? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think I've had so many interesting, you know, when I was working my way up, I remember working on uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula and just being on those sets. And I told my wife the other day, I said, you know, I just, I flashback. There was a wonderful time when I was, you know, I was a second assistant. I was slating and there was that great scene between um, Dracula and Winona Ryder, I guess was playing the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I, and I, yes, Nina, thank you. And I told her, you know, I, I could, we were so jammed in there that I literally had to put my slate in front of her and duck right down by her. <laughs> so I was just literally ducked down by her and listening to, you know, her do her thing and her acting. And I was, I felt like I was right there. I go, that was an amazing experience. <laughs> and, um, so that was really cool for that, but you know, they're, they're also unique in, in what they are. And, yeah. and the great thing about it is I, not only, you know, enjoy those experiences, I've learned so much from those experiences, you know, and um, moving up to, to DP was, you know, I, I knew what I was doing, but it was more of a, a little bit of a little political, you know, experience instead of just experience of what you're doing with the camera. Then you got to, it's a whole different level of politics. Yeah. So I found that fascinating in the move up too. But um, no, I've had some great experiences, you know, from, from that to, I remember lugging gear up mountainsides on uh, Broken Arrow, you know, yeah. and at the end of the day, I'd be like, man, I am tired, but man, how, how rewarding was that? We got all that equipment up there, you know, it was yeah. things like that. 
or yeah. just a really wonderful magical shot that I'll see. There's one of the shots in, in Walking Out that I'm just over the moon about. It's just it's so intimate and the emotional value is so incredible. Yeah. So, you know, I find those moments of magic and uh, just kind of enjoy them and they keep me going. Yeah, that's very cool. Couple of last questions. First one would be what TV shows are you watching at the moment? That's a great question because uh, you probably won't like my answers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, We've like, had I, all love sorts. Shark, I, I love Shark Tank. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. You know what? One show I actually had been catching, which I thought was fantastic, was Peaky Blinders. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic Amazing show. Amazing show. Yeah. Um, but no, you know, uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't watch a lot of the network shows. Where I live, I don't really, I'm not able to stream very well. So I'm not getting a lot of Netflix <laughs> shows, you know. Um, I did watch Westworld. Uh, yes. That was okay. Yeah. It was okay. It, it didn't bowl me over but it was all it was good i boy, i shouldn't say that if hbo is listening um <laughs> but uh but you know i i mean i'll, I'll tell you game of thrones yeah I, that's yeah. the reason we get hbo it's just a f- great show well yeah. done and just great show so that's a staple for sure yeah but um you know i nothing else really pops off because i don't spend a lot of time watching tv yeah i mean peaky blinders is an amazing show it's shot fairly close to me actually yeah it's a fascinating show i really i love the look and i love the acting i love the story it's great yeah yeah. so last question would be if you had the opportunity to work on any show past present or future what show would it Mm, well uh, i gotta tell you um obviously it was the newsroom that that was just that for me was fantastic. I mean, I would have liked to go and shot a game, you know, a Game of Thrones episode. I thought that would have been, you know, really wonderful highlight as well. Yeah. Uh, because I love the show and it's so epic. But you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I it's that's a great question. <laughs> I, wish I, had, <laughs> I wish I had a better answer for you. No, no. I think I think that's two reasonably good choices. I would have said. Yeah, but I do think it's the shows that I'm attracted to are something that's visually interesting, mm. not giving away everything and certainly not conventional style. Yeah. And they're far and few in between. You yeah. know, I'll give it that. But those are the stories I'm attracted to. Yeah, I, I have to say the common answers we get are, are Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad. The two ones. Breaking are- Bad. <laughs> I never even watched much of Breaking Bad. The other one you probably get is House of Cards. We get um, that occasionally, actually. Do um, you? Yeah, yeah, very occasionally. But but breaking, I mean, because that that's beautifully shot, House of Cards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks fantastic. Yeah, no, I think uh, you know they're all really wonderful shows, and I I know uh, you know they've all done very well. So it's helped, I think, expand our our style of shooting. You know, for what people are doing and able to do. It's amazing what you can do now on TV compared to what people were doing like twenty years ago or whatever. So. Totally. It's it's just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And Netflix have just added what another billion or something to their original content budget. So <laughs> I'm sure they have. Yeah. They're doing so so great over there. I'd love to get on another one of their shows. I'll have to see what they're up to these days, but I'm I'm sure they got some good stuff going. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they have. Well, good luck with Sundance. I hope the film does really well for you. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Santa Clarita Diet as well, because that looks really funny. So I'm looking forward to that show coming up. Well, thank you for taking the time to, to ask me the questions and be in contact. I hope I get to meet you in person one of these days. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. All right. All right, we'll keep in touch and thank you. I appreciate it. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So that was the interview with Todd. Hope you really enjoyed that. Here's some air dates. <laughs>
edits this week. A couple of little renewals. We've got Librarians, the um, Noel Wild series that's been picked up for a fourth season. Amazon have also renewed Mozart in the Jungle for fourth season and Red Oaks for a final third season. I think that one is. So those renewals changes. First one I wanted to highlight, Gotham. Now, we don't have an air date still for Gotham. All Channel 5 will say at this point is at some point later in the year. We don't know whether it's summer later or spring later or autumn later (laughs) at this point. (laughs) For some reason, they've decided they're holding on to it. I don't know what that is. They won't give me any reason for actually doing that. It seems a bit weird and seems a bit like shooting yourself in the foot because anybody that's a major fan of this will find other methods of getting hold of it, which we don't approve of, but it's hardly surprising if you're going to hold it back for that long. I can understand holding it until, say, post-Christmas because you want to take the brakes out of it. That makes sense. To bump it to, you know, middle of the year sometime makes no sense to me at all. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing this season as well. It looks really good. You, have you been following Gotham? I have been mostly following Gotham, although I did feel at the end of the last season when they kind of did their whole sort of reveal of what the setup for the next season was going to be. I don't want to say too many spoilers for anyone yeah. that's behind, but I did kind of go, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm not sure about that but I do absolutely adore the penguin and fish mooney and those that side of it. Right. I think they're absolutely amazing and um yeah all, all of I enjoy those bits a lot more than I do anything connected to young Bruce Wayne and Catwoman and that side. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's if I go back again for more of those characters or if I think it's going to get more Bruce Wayne centric and that actually puts me off even though the actor's doing a very good job. It's just that that isn't the main interesting part of the plot to me. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I I quite like Sean Pertwee's Alfred. I think he's really good. But the the standout character for me in that are, well, it's the villains across the board, Mm. but particularly Penguin. uh, He's just absolutely brilliant. And it's more, it's fleshing out that character so much by showing us his youth and it works so well in the sort of moody setting they have that's sort of partly in the past, but not quite and... It has a really kind of noir feel and that those bits of the plot work so incredibly well. The other bits aren't necessarily terrible. It's just that I kind of, when they're showing other characters and other things, I kind of just waiting for those bits to finish so we can get back to the plot. It's the <laughs> plot I love. Um, and I feel yeah. that had the show gone with its original format, which was not really having Bruce Wayne in it at all and just having it following the police department and following the villains, I think that that would have made the show even better. Mm. And it falls down by having by having the super young Bruce Wayne and the very young Catwoman and the very young Poison Ivy and things like that. I do quite like the Riddler, though. Yes. He's, yeah. So. He's very intriguing. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a weird one. I think that this season's going to make or break it. Hopefully it will be back sooner rather than later, but but um, it's sounding like it's later at the moment. So, mm-hmm. yes, send your abuse to Channel 5. <laughs> <laughs> also coming uh, rather rather sooner this time, 
In some point in February, though, we haven't got an exact date for this, uh, on Five Star, The Magician Season 2, that's coming back. Um, I watched a few episodes of the first season of that, and it was, it was quite good. I just didn't get into watching the rest of it yet. There's a new show coming on to Sky One on the 8th of February. That is MacGyver, which is the MacGyver remake with Lucas Till taking on the Richard Dean Anderson role. I've been quite looking forward to seeing this. I'm sure it'll be stupid and it will be ridiculous, but it sounds like it could be quite good fun. Oh, it has to fun. be, really. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be MacGyver without being ridiculous. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like it could be quite good fun, but uh, yeah, MacGyver season one coming to Sky One on the 8th of February at 8pm. Then we've got Emerald City. That's coming on the... 8th of February at 9pm. So you'll be able to watch that on five stars straight after you've finished watching MacGyver on Sky. Do you know much about this series? I don't know a huge amount about this particular series, but I do quite like The Wizard of Oz world and I do like especially slightly darker takes on it and takes <laughs> which kind of expand beyond the source material. So so yeah, this is, is The Wizard of Oz kind of filtered through the 100 and Game of Thrones, basically. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> and you have Vincent D'Onofrio playing the wizard. Do you remember um, Return to Oz, the follow-up movie to The uh, Wizard of Oz? Oh, yes, vaguely. Yes, yeah. If they take anything like that kind of approach and can put that into a TV series, I will be hooked. Well, I have I have seen the first episode of it because I interviewed Vincent D'Onofrio a few weeks ago for an interview which will be going up on the website relatively soon. It's, it's an interesting looking show. I've been really quite enjoying it, or certainly enjoyed that first episode. They've skewed things quite a lot in that you know um dorothy's a lot older toto is a police dog the scarecrow character is somebody that she finds being crucified on the side of the road the munchkins (laughs) the munchkins are basically look like wildings from game of thrones they've made a lot of changes to how the characters but the essence of the characters is still in there and uh vincent d'anafrio's wizard is basically a kind of brutal dictator in the whole thing (laughs) so yeah Really good. I think that's definitely one to watch out for. Uh, So Emerald City, five star on the 8th of February at 9pm that arrives. Scorpio season 3B, that's coming to ITV2 on the 11th of February at 8pm. Rain season 4, that's coming to Netflix on the 12th of February. You've got Girls season 6, that's coming on the 13th of February at 10pm. That's the final season for that as well. Madam Secretary is back for a third season of Sky Living. That's the 15th of February. There's a show called The Kettering Incident, which some people may be aware of. It's an Australian mystery drama about a missing child. That's coming to Sky Atlantic on the 15th of February at 10pm. Grey's Anatomy returns for the second half of the 13th season on the 16th of February. Amazon Prime have got a new show called Patriot coming. That's on the 24th of February, it's about an intelligence officer played by Michael Dorman who's must forego all safety nets and he's sent undercover on a perilous non-official investigation as a mid-level employee of a Midwest industrial piping firm. Yeah, that might be interesting. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Designated Survivor is back on the 9th of February for the second half of the first season. Um, I, did you, have you, no, you won't have seen any of that because it's on Netflix. No, I'm, I'm afraid not. I, I feel every time you mention Netflix, you kind of, there's a tone of voice. Why hasn't she got Netflix? <laughs> there, there is, yes. I'm right, sorry. Right. I, I, <laughs> 
I am I am missing out on things. You um, are most definitely. I was waiting to see which of the on-demand services was the best, and I think we probably all know the answer by now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, although Amazon has got some quite good stuff on it, um, but yes, uh, ne- Netflix is probably the one I would plump for if you only had one. Um, Sheer volume. Uh, Yes. Netflix, I think. Sheer volume. Better Call Soul Season 3. That's coming to Netflix at some point in April. We haven't got an exact date for that yet. So, next week on TV, Legends of Tomorrow returns on the 2nd of February at 8pm to Sky 1. Are you following the DC shows at the moment? I'm following some of them. Um, I have watched a reasonable amount of Legends of Tomorrow. It seems to be one that's rapidly becoming people's favourites, whereas... When it started, I thought it was very throwaway and seemed like, although I did really like some of the characters, it did seem like here are some leftover people who are good. What should we do with them? Let's invent a ridiculous plot. Um, And I never understood the basic premise, which is let's chase this guy by going forward in time so that every time we meet him, he's had 30 years to prepare. Whereas what they could do is go the other way and go further back in time so that they had more information and he had less every time. So the basic premise drove me crazy, but so many people are falling in love with the show and are starting to prefer it to the others that I I think I probably need to get back up to date with it again. I still love Flash, but Legends is is slowly becoming the sort of second favourite for me. It is still quite silly. It It is still quite preposterous in places. But I'm really enjoying it. I just love how wonderfully stupid it is in places. And I love the extra characters they've got in. You've actually got a plot device in this where the uh, the upcoming return episode where the fact that George Lucas doesn't make Star Wars is actually an issue for the team. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. I think that they are just making it so lovable in the way Flash, everyone loves Flash because it's lovable and it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is where Arrow was falling apart a bit because as it got more preposterous, it still continues to take itself as seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, So, yes, Legends of Tomorrow back on the 2nd of February at 8pm for the rest of the second season. Arrow back directly after that on 2nd of February at 9pm. They're double stacking on Tuesdays and Thursdays now for the uh, DC shows. Scandal returns on the 2nd of February at 10pm for season six. Then... On the 3rd of February, Santa Clarita Diet, which we were talking about earlier. Santa Clarita Diet Season 1 starts on Netflix on the 3rd of February. So that is one I think it'd be worth looking out for. And then Black Sails. If you're watching Black Sails on the History Channel, the third season of that starts on the 7th of February at 10pm. And if you're watching on uh, Amazon, I think the fourth season is... um, I think that's the final season he's currently running on Amazon as well. So that's everything we've got for this week, unless you've got anything you want to add in. No, I think you've covered everything and there's plenty of TV for me to catch up with, if nothing else. <laughs> so where can they find you if they want to find more of your stuff? Uh, you can find me as Trista Bytes, spelled B-Y-T-E-S, because I'm that geeky and computery as well as comic booky. Uh, I'm on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, various things like that. Pretty easy to find. <laughs> And much for- ranting and many, many <laughs> photos of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
and for us you can find uh, us at geektown.co.uk throughout the week and see all the latest air date information you can get in touch with your questions and comments by emailing podcast at geektown.co.uk you can leave a message on the website post or find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown youtube youtube.com forward slash geektown or instagram at geektown uk that's everything we shall see you for episode 100 next week bye bye take care guys Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.